for those that I didn't get to introduce myself uh, to, I am the music director here at Downtown Church. And we're going to talk about the contributions of black church music and where it came from, how it evolved, and all those good things. Um, so I asked the question, what do you think of when you think about African music? Specifically because whenever we talk about black history, <coughs> I always want to emphasize that black people did not start as slaves. They started in Africa. I hate that every time we talk about black history month, it seems like we start with, they were such an oppressed people. And it's like, no, that's not where, where my people started. So, um, and a lot of the music we're going to talk about has um, some things from African music that you'll be able to see and identify by the end of this session. So anybody want to answer out loud, what did you talk about? What do you envision, see, or hear when you think about African music? People doing it to get in the community, a group of people. Yeah. Dancing. Dancing? What else? Very rhythmic sounding, strong beats. Yes, a lot of rhythm. So uh, I want to frame this real quick, keep those thoughts in mind. I do want to frame this time really quickly with a personal story. And so I want to emphasize that this time together is a story of triumph, okay? Um, so I'm going to tell a quick story. I went to this training, and you know how icebreakers go. It was kind of awkward in the beginning, and you're supposed to introduce the person to the left of you. And so the guy next to me was asking me, like, what's interesting about you? And uh, Immediately, people said her name. Her last name is Christmas, right? And so I said, Christmas, where did that come from? And I was like, it's kind of a long story. I don't know why I had the idea to not tell him this story. But anyway, he kept on asking, so I told him. So the story of my name comes from, uh, apparently, my people didn't find out they were free until it was around Christmas Eve. And so that night, they decided they didn't want to have the slave master's name anymore. So they picked the name Christmas, because it was always when they were all together. Um, and it was a celebration of Jesus, right? And so they decided to make their name Christmas. For me, that's a great story. Anyway, he gets up, starts to tell the story, and starts crying. Has to stop to get tissue, like he's like really emotional. And in that moment, it was very awkward for me. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Uh, in, in true millennial fashion, like, what is going on? Um, and it was just like, I had so many feelings around it. Um, talk to some friends of mine on, on the staff of downtown church uh, who are great. And I think I got out like, one, those aren't really your tears to shed. Like, this is my story, and now we're trying to console you. And then two, like, that was a story of triumph. Like, when my people found out they were free, they took some agency and they, re, you know, regained their dignity and named themselves. So um, when I tell these stories, when I read some of these quotes, I don't want us to look at this as poor, poor, pitiful because <laughs> um, it's a story of triumph. I think that it's amazing that a people who were introduced to Christianity in a very oppressive way, and um, this religion was used to oppress them, however, they still were able to see the truth of God and his love and his justice, um, and they were still able to see that they were made in the image of God, despite the slave Bibles and all the things that Sergio talked about last week. Okay, so... We're going to celebrate today, okay, in true black church fest, all right? Um, so, yeah, we talked about, and I'm sorry for my visual learners, we're having some technical difficulties. I had great things for you to look at. I'm a visual learner, 
so I'm gonna try to speak very clearly, and I'm sorry uh, in advance. All right, so you guys talked about rhythm, communal and groups, dance, uh, and so those are all things that we're gonna see that still happen in the black church today. All right, so I just want you to see that a lot of this comes from a mirroring of African traditions and then coming over to European, some European songs and all those things, but this comes from people that just were not going to die to their culture. All right. So, um, and call and response. Okay, call and response. Um, I want to just read a quick quote from like the pioneer of ethnomusicology. Uh, he said, still there is one feature in American Negro songs which is not European but African. Namely the form consisting of leading lines sung by a single voice alternating with the refrain sung by a chorus that communal singing. This form, it is true, occurs in European folk songs, but in African songs, it is almost the only one used. So you'll notice some of the first, uh, like no, the first two songs that we sing in worship a lot of times are gospel songs that are call and response. And that's on purpose because I want one to wake people up. But two, um, I want us to realize we are worshiping corporately together. So there's a back and forth that we should have um, when we're doing gospel music. All right, so let's talk about the historical context and evolution. So efforts to convert slaves prior to the Great Awakening of 1740 were actually largely unsuccessful, okay? This was because of language barriers, like just got over here. Um, the resistance from slaves to maintain their African identity, which is why I talked about that. And actually, some slave owners opposed teaching Christianity because it talked about freedom. <laughs> Um, and so, and then uh, talked about equality and things, so they didn't want to do that. Um, but with the Great Awakening, there actually are reports of black people being at the Great Awakening um, and some of those 10 meetings. The first written account I thought was funny, and I just want to share it. I'm going to let it sit, and we're going to keep on moving. But I just, go ahead and think about it, and just keep, keep your thoughts and emotions when I read this, okay? This is 1819. Oh, sorry, and this is from, uh, I don't know if it was a book or an article, but it was from John Watson. The name of it was Methodist Error or Friendly Christian Advice to Those Methodists Who Indulge in Extravagant Religious Emotions and Bodily Exercise. <laughs> okay, I'm happy that too. Okay, good. We're going to celebrate today. Okay. Okay, so this is what he said. We have to a growing evil in the practice of singing in our places of worship. Merry airs adapted from old songs to hymns of our composing, often miserable as poetry and senseless as matter, and most frequently composed and sung by the illiterate blacks of the society. The evil is only occasionally condemned, and the example has already visibly affected the religious matters of some way. Whether you wanted to or not, um, black people are already making a, a mark. Uh, in Christian music, so that's an 18 Here we are. Okay, so I want to talk about the Invisible Church. So, um, Sir G, last week, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, it's going to be posted on the website. But eventually, slave owners got to the point where they didn't try to keep black people from worshiping separately. But, uh, but when it first started, the Invisible Church um, was, I guess, around when they first started coming over here. There were slave codes banning the assembly of blacks without whites present. Okay, so this was something they had to do in secret. All right, so I'm going to read something really quick. I don't have a lot of quotes, but they're kind of heavy on the front. Because I just want you guys to understand. Like, I feel like personal stories give you an idea of what it was like, opposed to me just having facts. Okay, so 
ex-slave Lucretia Alexander wrote this. The preacher came, he just said, serve your masters, don't steal your masters turkey, don't steal your masters hogs, don't steal your masters meat, do whatsoever, I like that word, your master tells you to do. Same old thing all the time. My father would have church in dwelling houses and they had to whisper. Sometimes they would have church at his house. That would be when they, they would want a real meeting with some real preaching. They used to sing their songs in a whisper and pray in a whisper. That was a prayer meeting from house to house once or twice a week. All right, so think about this invisible church. You really weren't supposed to congregate together, but you needed hope, okay? You needed hope, you were oppressed, you needed hope. You wanted to, you come from a tradition where you are used to singing together all the time and dancing together all the time. Um, you may have been ripped from your family, and so you need some connection, all right? So this is where um, some of the things we're about to talk about come from, just this idea that you have to praise in a whisper, all right? I'm gonna keep going. So this is where the folk spiritual began, all right? So um, my wonderful professor that wrote this great book, her name is Melody Burnham. She said, it was an outgrowth of slavery. It was unique, a uniquely African response to an institution that engaged in a systematic, though unsuccessful attack on the cultural legacy of black people in America. All right, so I had a video to kind of explain what heterophonic, can you guys say heterophonic? So you guys can have this word to use, you know, in conversations. All right. Heterophonic vocal texture. So if you can think about hetero, it means different. Phonic means sound, okay? So you have a lot of different sounds going on in um, the folk spiritual and also in gospel for real. My singers know. Gospel has a lot going on. All right. So for example, if I wanted to do row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. All right, can you guys sing that? One, two, ready. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. That's beautiful. All right. So I want you to sing that again a little softer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate heterophonic. One, two, ready. And All right, 
It grew from the Free African Society uh, in 1787. This is in Philadelphia. All right, so this is how it started. Officials at St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church pulled blacks off of their knees while praying. So they came to worship. Um, their white brothers and sisters in Christ did not want them to worship with them and literally pulled them off of their knees when praying. From what I understand, there's a similar story here in Memphis. Um, and so in that, yeah. They were ministers, right? Yeah. They were ordained. Yeah, they were ministers um, coming to, to pray and they took them off of their knees and kicked them out. And so in this moment, they, they realized just how far American Methodists would go to enforce racial discrimination against African Americans. And so they started their own. All right. So again, I say this is a story of triumph. So you tell me that I can't worship, so I will figure out a way to do it on my own. Um, this relates to music because he created his own. Okay, give me one second. He created his own hymnal. So these texts were simplified. Refrain lines and choruses were routinely added, and his goal was to generate congregational participation and assure freedom of worship for his members. So again, congregational participation, which is really, really huge in the African um, tradition, and then freedom of worship. Okay, so these people were ex-slaves and probably couldn't read. Okay, that is true. Um, also, a lot of these songs had references to Old Testament characters like Daniel, Moses, Joshua. These were all people that overcame seemingly insurmountable odds. And so if when you're being oppressed, you want to hear about these hope stories. All right? They weren't uh, just those things, but I just want to highlight those things. Also, we have a special presentation. Yep. I'm going to pause for a second. Please don't forget what it Hey, adult Sunday school class. Uh, this is the Bumblebee class coming in, and uh, we've been practicing. All right, everybody. I hate to stop you because it sounds like you're having some great discussions, but let's bring it back. Turn it last. Which group had Psalm 63-4 and Psalm 156? I think it was. All right, so can you read it real quick? Yeah, uh, six, Psalm 63-4. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Psalm 150 says, 156, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, so can you guys just, anybody want to share what you discussed a little bit, snippet, one thing, two things, Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share what I shared, um, which was coming from Psalm 150, verse 6, um, and how God commands us for everything to that has breath praise him. And I was just saying that, that like when I think about his creation and all that he has created, everything that has living breath should praise him, not just like people that are humans, you know, but everything um, to kind of worship him in, in their own way. Um, and I just talked about when I think of like everything, everything within me, like my whole self, like really praising him, like that is what he has big thing about uh, worship services in the black church, I think across the board, maybe not some AME churches, 
Um, sometimes they can be a little more buttoned up, but everybody participates. All right. So I think one thing that was interesting to me coming to the Presbyterian world is that like people want instruction. Uh, so Richard would tell me, Richard and Michael would tell me like sometimes you just have to tell people like to lift their hands because sometimes people aren't used to doing that in worship. So you have to tell them. And it's so funny like. In the black church, you don't have to tell anybody to do anything. Sometimes they do things you're not ready for. Okay. Um, you may be singing a solo and somebody will literally throw something at you, like, literally. Um, and so, but everybody participates. And it is definitely a type of thing where it's like everything within me is going to worship God. Um, and we're going to get to dance in a second. But and, and there's also the belief that everybody worships differently. I still hold that belief. That some people may have a tendency to lift their hands automatically. Some people may cry. <laughs> Some people may want to just contemplate on the words. And I believe that, that that God made us all individually different. He knows what it looks like for each of us to worship him with all that is within us. And that's something that I can't judge. Um, all right, I'm not going to get off my soapbox. Who had Genesis 126? Okay. Can you read it for me? And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Okay, and any thoughts from your discussion? It sounded like it was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one thing we talked about is, like, I don't think about this verse a lot when I'm worshiping, but, um, but that, like, I think you asked us to consider it from, like, a perspective of someone and yourself. Yeah. Um, but like being made in God's likeness and having dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and like being given dignity in like those words impart dignity onto the person. And so you are not only made in the image of God, but he has trusted you and given dominion over his creation that he loves. And like out of those things you can worship. Amen. So a big thing and the church is respect. Um, so when people get up to speak, first giving honor to God who is the head of my life, then they're going to say first get. Also, I want to give honor to pastor and the first lady. All right. And so a lot of the black church I still see is a re reclaiming dignity. Okay. And so if you are a slave, the only time you're really treated like you are made in the image of God is in church. That's part of the reason why church is so long. <laughs> if you are, let's let's go forward. So if you're an ex-slave, you're a sharecropper, you don't own anything, you're reclaiming your dignity. If you are a maid, because that's the only thing you can do, the only thing you can do is work on a railroad because you weren't able to finish school or you didn't have access to education, you're reclaiming your dignity. Today, if you're driving as a black man and you go get so scared when the police pull you over because you don't know what's going to happen. You're reclaiming your dignity. And so this is something that you're going to see. I feel like we're always going to see, at least in my lifetime, in the black church. It's just we're reclaiming our dignity. Another thing about being made in the image of God and having dominion is that whatever you do in the black church, you do it with pride. Okay, so the lady that gets up to do announcements, oh my goodness. I mean, she, she is enunciating every word. We are, uh, what? The church, uh, let me say, uh, this is Reed's Temple, Baptist, Pentecostal, Holiness, whatever church. 
and my name is Sister Shirley, whatever it is. She's going to say it with a lot of respect, just pride in what she's doing. Whatever your role is in the church, you are doing it with pride. If you're an usher, you are making sure nobody has gum, okay? So you're going to come up to the church, <laughs> and you have on your white gloves, okay? And you, okay, um, you dress in your best outfit, these big hats come into play because you want to be treated as royalty, you want to feel like royalty, because during the week you may not feel that way, alright? So respect is really, really big. I, I gotta keep going, I'm sorry. Hey, there, I just made a comment there. Yeah. I just think, one thing just to name, for those of us who've grown up in circles like me, mm -hmm. uh, we were either implicitly or explicitly taught a bunch of mistruths about the black church. Mm -hmm. I know I was. Mm -hmm. And the close drive now that I work in a college where I'm running into a lot of students from the black church, I've just had to confess that I believe a lot of black churches. Yeah. But it's like a really important place where like we outsiders just don't get it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I have, I have felt and I've heard people complain, why do black pastors, first lady this, like, and, 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 you know, and it's, it's stuff that we would be frustrated by if our pastor did. Yeah. But it's, the way that you framed it, it's like such a different we're coming from two different places, and it reminds yeah. me of our Corinthian story when Paul says the slave is free in the Lord, mm -hmm. and the free person is a slave in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, some of y'all, the gospel is going to bring you down, yeah. and some of you it's going to lift you up yeah. in terms of the way, the way you see yourself. And so I just think that's such a like transformation perspective that you're offering. So you say, this desire for respect and like sort of uh, pomp and circumstance is about sort of reclaiming the fact that that our lives out there don't define us. So I just think it's really yeah. important for confronting people like me sort of inborn stereotypes. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that I'm able to help. I was praying while I was <laughs> doing this, and um, I think that sometimes I had to ask myself, it's helpful for us to worship in different ways and to go to different denominations because a lot of the stuff that I grew up on, I didn't realize how different it was until I went to a different church, and I was like, oh, they don't do that here. Um, they're not dressed up. I wonder why. Like they're not. And then I had to think about, like, well, why do we do all the stuff we do? Um, and thinking about, and also having, you know, taking some at the musicology classes, it was just like, oh yeah, like this is where this comes from. And even noticing for me, um, being like a black woman, especially when I was the director of sex, being the a black woman sitting at a table with all white men um, and fighting to have my voice heard, I still want to reclaim my dignity when I go to church. Um, and so it's not just. I don't think it's an old thing, if that makes sense. I don't think that it's just people holding on to something that they need to let go of. I think it's still true today. And I mean, I think that with all of this, that's why I said, is it something that's, what's something personal to you? I think all of us in some way have felt like we were not made in the image of God. And so it doesn't matter if you were born into privilege or not. Um, all of us have felt that way. And so I would hope that when we come to church, we feel like we are made in the image of God. Another thing that you see with this high level of respect is greeting time. Greeting time can be pretty long. But greeting time is also when people are greeting you, looking you in the eye, asking how are you doing, right? You may not have that at work. So I think that we are called to make sure we're treating each other as we are all made in the image of God still today, no matter what your, your uh, foundation is. Yeah, I really, I need to get off my soapbox. Okay, ran out of time. Um, who had 2 Corinthians 3.17? Okay. Okay, somebody. Yeah. 
an event like this and celebrating in church is difficult when it's an individual thing, but corporately, people are um, engaging in worship in a way that's celebratory or dancing with all their might, singing with all their might. If it's a corporate thing, then it's much more comfortable. We're very comfortable at sporting events when everyone else is going bananas, um, and we're not the only one doing it. Uh, and uh, from an oppression standpoint, uh, if you're not able to celebrate the way you'd like to um, for a period of time, it just intensifies um, your desire to do that when you have the ability to. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, those are some of my thoughts. Oh, <laughs> uh, you kind of read my brain. Um, but yeah, I think that dancing in the black church sometimes is looked down upon. For me, when I feel the spirit of the Lord, I don't dance. I don't. That's not one of my ways of worshiping the Lord. Um, but I don't ever look down on it. Uh, when I was younger, I used to death. I mean, when I was younger, I used to be like, I was. That was a spiritual immaturity for me. But um, personally, it's, it's not something that I look down upon because I don't know the heart. I don't know the heart of what that person is doing. I do know that for slaves, that was something that you were used to doing. So one thing about African music, it. The idea of listening to music and not moving was just never, I mean, that's just something that didn't make sense. Whenever you had music, you had dancing, just about. And so um, if that's what you're used to doing when you hear music, then you're, you're going to do it. And you're going to do it with all your might. And with all that's within you, you're going to praise the Lord. Um, and so... Yeah, I know that's kind of a touchy subject, and I'm going to have a Q&A if you want to debate it a little bit more. But for me, I don't know that anybody's heart. I don't know your heart. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not there to judge what you're doing. I'm, I'm here to worship um, and support and give my gifts to the Lord uh, in the church. But dancing was a big thing, and you will see that um, in many black churches, not all black churches. I want to make sure I'm enforcing that this is... Um, these are the roots, but these roots show up in different ways in churches. Some AME churches are very similar to a second prayer. <laughs> um, and so I do want to want everybody to understand that. But if you go to like a Kojic church, for sure, um, you will probably see dancing. Um, if you go to a missionary Baptist church, that's where I grew up, you probably will see dancing. Not every Sunday, but if you go for a year, you're probably going to see Again, I don't know anybody's heart, but if that's the way they want to worship the Lord, I say they do it. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's my spiel. Okay. Thank you guys for that discussion. That was awesome. I'm going to rush a little bit through this because I like to discuss. <laughs> I like the call and response. Um, but I did want one of the, the, the number one thing is the historical. I, did, I sent out a survey. If you didn't get it, uh, get a chance to do it. That's okay. The top thing is the historical evolution, so I do want to spend some time here, but we're going to go a little fast. Okay, so the Arrange Spiritual came about with uh, the, fish, the Jubilee uh, Fist Singers. Anybody familiar with them? Yeah. Okay, great. And so the Fish Jubilee Singers um, went on a tour in 1871 because the school was about to close. They didn't have any money. So they went out to try to gig <laughs> to raise some funds. Um, this is a really big thing because the dominant image of the time was of the blackface minstrel. So this is the first time you really got to see black performers dignified. Um, and they also, Negro spirituals since then have grown so much. They've been embraced transculturally, globally. They've been um, put into a lot of our hymnals, the United Methodist hymnal, um, Lutheran Catholic, among others. 
what else do I want to tell you about this? One thing about the arranged spiritual that changed, though, is that it wasn't so heterophonic. Remember that? Row, 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 you both. And it was sung in a very European way, so in a classical tone, timbre of the voice. Um, so instead of singing like, um, Precious Lord, take my hand. I wouldn't sing it that way, right? I'd sing it higher, probably. Uh, Precious Lord, take my hand. I wouldn't do any kind of run or anything like that. And if you had any kind of like heterophonic anything, it was written. <laughs> Everything was written. And um, I mean, can you go back to that picture? They were dressed up the way Europeans would be dressed up. It was very much a dignified thing. And in that sense, I know sometimes even today, people will say that people have sold out. Um, there may have been, I don't know if they have people say that or not. I think that there is a lot of value in this type of music. And I think there's a lot of value in what they did because they really did change the view of black people um, during that time. All right, let me keep it moving. All right, let's go on to traditional gospel. We can go a little bit further. I'm gonna do this quickly because I want us to listen to some things. So traditional gospel comes from three main um, styles that kind of came together after the Great Migration. And so um, it came about in the 1930s. Everybody familiar with the Great Migration? Okay, um, just in case, really quickly, this was just black people seeking a, seeking a better life, so they moved north. My people moved north um, to the Chicago area. And so um, it comes from three main contributors. You have the Tinley style, which was uh, heavy on the piano and organ. We're gonna listen to a song that kind of shows that. Um, you have the rural gospel, which is the guitar and harmonica, quick note. A lot of the people that sang rural gospel also sang blues. And so you hear a lot of blues chords in that type of gospel. They were sometimes shamed because they were playing on Saturday night and then they would wake up and play on Sunday morning. People do that in Memphis still today. Um, and so you have the rural gospel. And then you have the holiness Pentecostal style. And that's when you see the instrumentation of trombones, trumpet, mandolins, even jugs. And um, I hope that at some point somebody will talk about the Azusa Street revival in Los Angeles. Um, but this is when people were just like, I'm going to worship God the way I want to worship God, and I'm going to be free. So um, there's a lot going on in the holiness Pentecostal style. I did not grow up in that tradition, so I don't want to take too much time there. Okay, go to the next slide. Um, all right, so I'm, I'm speeding ahead a little bit. You guys know about Thomas Dorsey if you've been going to the church for a while. I talk about Precious Lord a lot. Um, and he, sorry, you can go back a little bit. Um, one great thing he did, he wrote Precious Lord, which is amazing. But also, he started these choir conventions. And so one thing about gospel music, especially contemporary, uh, pre-contemporary gospel music, is it's big on choirs. Now, during this time, I think we're going to smaller groups of, uh, of singers. But like, even if you go back to Kirk Franklin, he was like big on choir. Okay. Um, all right, let me keep it moving. So contemporary music, you have the Edwin Hawkins singers, and they were the first to sell over a million records. And so um, that's kind of where we are. I'm going to stop for now. Any, any questions? so far. Can we do a little listening? Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Can you go on? Keep going. 
Um, I'm giving you a little bit. I just want to emphasize the things that I highlight today are not everything. So I don't want you to think that every song in gospel music is a celebration. Everything in gospel music is a lament. Everything is about future glory. But all of those things, I believe, are really emphasized. And I think that we, as Presbyterians, because I am one now, can learn from this tradition. And I hope that um, I had some application points when I'm out of time. But I hope that you guys can take these things that I'm telling you and not just think of it as this comes from an oppressed people or people I didn't come from. You can learn from all of these ways of worship. You can learn from um, that experience and even think about your own experiences in life because we all have been through something. If you are human and you are living on this fallen world, you have been through something. And so um, I hope that you can take this and also understand why we do some of the things we do on Sunday morning. Being a multicultural church is not an easy thing. There are a lot of churches that are multi-ethnic but not multicultural. Okay, so you can have different um, ethnicities in the church, but everything can be very white. Okay, and so we are aiming to be multicultural, um, which is difficult, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable sometimes. And these conversations, I feel like, are the bridge. We have to understand it. When we can understand it, then we can truly embrace it. So thank you for your time. If you have any questions, I'm going to stick around for another five minutes. Um, any questions you want to ask to the group? All right, good. Thank you so much, guys.